Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking to General Hospital's Lynn Herring, who plays Lucy Co. about the Nurses Ball and her very long and wonderful history with the show. But first, Mara, there is more big casting news from Days of Our Lives. As we reported exclusively, Kyle Lauder is coming back to the show. Now, as viewers know, he played the very popular Brady Black from 2000 to 2005. Then he went on to Bold and Beautiful as Rick. In the meantime, Eric Martsoff took over the role of Brady in 2000. 2008, and he is still filming, so Kyle will most likely be playing a new character. Now, this isn't the first time Days has brought someone back in in a new role. Uh, Josh Taylor, who has played Roman since 97, previously played Chris Kosicek, who was very popular. Judy Evans, of course, as Adrian, but she returned as Bonnie when Adrian was not on the canvas, a completely different character. John Aniston started as a cellmate of Doug's before becoming Victor Kiriakis, and really the list goes on on that show because there are many other examples now so 13 years have passed since we last saw Kyle so I think it's a great move and he was super popular in the Brady Chloe love story so it'll be fun to see if he's going to be crossing with Nadia Bjorlin this time around Um, so Mara what are your thoughts about bringing actors back in different roles Well, I think you have to take it as a case-by-case kind of a thing. The more time that passes, I I think it does become easier for viewers to make the adjustment from one character to another. But there are always going to be fans who, for example, see Tamara Braun as Carly on General Hospital, even though she's playing Kim now. But for diehard fans of an actor, any way you can get your favorite actor on your show, I think you're going to be willing to go along for that ride. Um, And I think especially now, it's really important because with four shows, there are a lot of really beloved, familiar faces out there who maybe we haven't seen in a while. So there is that feeling of, right, I'll take them any way I can. So, So I think when you're a fan of an actor, you really just want them back. And that's why I think that... You know, at this point in time, viewers are really willing to go along for the ride. We, we as General Hospital viewers, sat through a really strange case of actors being brought back in uh, different roles back in 2013, where uh, Kristen Alderson, Michael Easton, and Roger Howarth had to stop playing their One Life to Live characters because of a legal situation. And uh, only three months passed before they came back. So there was this triple recast where Kiki, Silas, and uh, Franco came on was really, really strange and required such a huge suspension of disbelief. I think 13 years down the line, a Kyle Lauder coming back to Salem, possibly with a new name and uh, alter ego, 
it's just going to be an easier leap. And you know what's funny? Because if tomorrow they told us that Michael Easton was going to be playing John McBain from One Life to Live and that Roger Howarth was going to be Todd again... I would be completely on board with it. I would be like, sign me up. Well, that's kind of similar, I think, in a way to what happened uh, on General Hospital back in 1991 when Tony Geary came back to the show. Now, he was so iconic, so popular, so mega successful as Luke Spencer. But he came back to the show as Bill Eckert. That didn't go over so well, you know, with a lot of fans. And we saw how that turned out, where by 1993, they said, all right, sorry, Bill, you're going to take your last breath. And Luke Spencer is back. That's an interesting point, because in our issue this week, we actually talk about 24 characters who never caught on. So, you know, it's funny because obviously soap towns are evolving and faces are evolving and you need to bring on new characters and you know, you look at some that have been completely successful, like, for example, we're going to talk to Lynn Herring, uh, who Lucy, I mean, you couldn't even imagine the canvas without her. But when she was brought on, she had no ties really to anyone on the canvas. Um, but then sometimes you bring people on, like in the case of Days of Our Lives, they've really tried to expand the Hernandez family and it just has not worked. You know, Dario has kind of been a bust. Um, Eduardo didn't really work out. Um, Ariana uh, was also a character that was gotten rid of pretty quickly. And yet it's tied to a very main character of Rafe. So it it really doesn't always work just because someone has a connection to the canvas. So it really relies on a character people sort of cotton to immediately and then the actor playing it. And I think it's a very unique combination that you have to have to make these characters work. I absolutely agree that there is an alchemy to it. And, you know, there's no hard and fast recipe for success. If there was, we wouldn't have to write about 24 characters that didn't work out. Um, But it's not even all, you know, a lot of times a show will hire someone who has a huge following, like a Jeannie Francis or, you know, other big names, and they just don't seem to work in the new incarnation. I'm curious to know, like, what you think about when a show should say it's time to throw in the towel this isn't working I think you know pretty early on and I feel that so my answer is quickly I feel like if it does not work get rid of them let's say for an example in the case of days of our lives it's harder because they shoot five months ahead so by the time um, you know a character comes on and if it doesn't work you're still going to look at probably another five months with that character after it so that's a different situation than the other shows but I feel like there's something more difficult about watching a show when you could see that they're really trying to make fetch happen with a character and it just gets awkward in a way like you don't the scenes feel forced or the character feels forced you know frankly I am sort of under the opinion for myself that I follow characters I don't really follow Actors. Now, there are people who follow actors. You can look at Steve Burton going over to Young and the Restless as Dylan. I had a lot of people write to me and say, well, now I'm going to start watching Young Mm -hmm. and the Restless. So it could be a really great way to introduce fans to another show because they do care about the actor. But I think ultimately the reason it doesn't work out or that the person doesn't stay is because, and this is not to say that Steve didn't work out as Dylan. He had a really great run. He was tied to like huge characters on the show. But General Hospital... General Hospital's Jason to me is Steve's home. And for me, when I'm watching him on YNR, there was a part of me in the back of my mind that was like, hi, Jason, because I loved him as Jason. And I, so now that he's back at GH to me, it just feels right. And I feel like that's the problem. Like Jeannie Francis is Laura to a lot of fans, you know, including myself. So even though she went on Days is Diana, you know, Weiner's Genevieve, All My Children, Sierra. It's not to say that she isn't a great actress and that it wasn't fun to see her in other roles. 
but I feel like the role that they're most known for is really the one that fans want to see them play. Absolutely. I don't think that there's any question about that. You know, even, you know, there are many examples of characters who've been pretty popular on more than one show. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, Mary Beth Evans is always going to be Kayla. I'm sorry to, you know, as the world turns to Sierra and GH is Catherine. And, you know, that's what's so hard because they be actors become actors because they want to play different roles. And there is this sort of seduction of daytime that, you know, you start playing this character, you get really into it, you work with great people. It's a great schedule, especially if you're a parent and you have children, you know, you kind of are working in the city you live in and a pretty like nine to five. And I'm putting that in air quotes. I'm not saying that the days are nine to five, but I mean, some people tell me now that they get out at 11 o'clock and they're Mm -hmm. done for the day. So it's a pretty stable lifestyle. And so then you're like, well, wait, I'm just going to stay on the show. So it's a great opportunity to be able to go to another show and play another role or to come back to the show that you had been on and play another role. So I see it and and it's almost unfair because I feel like as fans, we want to see them. I want to see you in the role that I like you in. But as actors, they want to spread their wings. And it was something that I'd actually talked to Marcy Miller about because she's relatively new to daytime. She's only been um, even airing on days, I think, at this point for a a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And so I said to her, did it ever occur to you in your wildest dreams that you would be playing more than one role, especially so soon into your run? But look at everything she's gotten to do. And I think those are the kind of parts or opportunities that come your way that really allow you to flourish, you know, within what could be a very confining character because you're playing the same thing. You know, both Judy Evans and Deidre Hall said to me that they loved reprising Bonnie and Hattie because it allowed them to do something really different than Marlena and Adrian. Mm -hmm. So speaking of characters who have worked out, I did mention Lynn Herring. So let us get the MC of the Nurses Ball herself on the line. Cannot wait. Lynn, hello, it's Mara and Stephanie. Hello, you two. How are you? We're really well. Great. How are you? Very good. Already got my hike in so I can sit still and visit. (laughs) Well, we are in a very exciting week that everyone looks forward to, the Nurses Ball. Um, First of all, we got to hear all about the llama. The llama. (laughs) The llama. Well, his name is Dutch, and he's very attractive, as you noticed, probably. He's a very good-looking llama, and he's the sweetest llama I've ever been around. He was very kind to me, and the two gals that brought him were awesome because they have an animal, um, obviously a training facility, and Dutch was on set since he was born. He was born on a set, and he was a baby, so he's so used to all the lights and camera that during a break, he just laid down right in the nurse's ball area where the tables were and sat down and was quite comfortable. And everybody gathered. <laughs> it was so adorable. And no one, everyone was so stunned we forgot to get pictures. But I have to tell you, people fell in love with him and would come and pet him. And he was the hit of that day. Nobody cared what else was going on. They all wanted to touch him and talk to him. And then every time he cowed himself in the mirror, he would stop. <laughs> so I had to make a plan. There's a mirror in the entryway of the... Um, nurse's ball and every time I'd have to walk him by there I knew we were going to stop and then I'd have to nudge him a little bit because he was fascinated with himself he knew he was beautiful oh that's so sweet (laughs) all right who was ultimately would you say easier to work with Dutch the llama or Sigmund the duck Ooh, that ooh, apples and oranges one is bird (laughs) one is feathers you know what truthfully I think the llama only because he had been born and raised to do this. He was a star from day one. And the duck wanted to dominate and do uh, 
his own thing. He it's actually a girl duck. Um, and so whenever the wings flap and people would back up, some folks are a little bit timid by birds. And the llama was a, kind of a big stuffed animal to them, and they loved on him. The duck, a lot of people wouldn't come near as much. So as far as people pleasing the llama, but I enjoyed the challenge of the scene of making sure the duck didn't steal every minute by flapping in someone's face or nuzzling my neck and making me laugh because it would tickle so much or just deciding to get down at the inappropriate moment. So I think it would be llama duck. I'd have to say for ease, but for entertainment and challenge and problem solving, Sigmund, always. Very diplomatic. Um, very now, diplomatic. Very diplomatic. Now, as always, Lucy is rocking some pretty stunning gowns. Um, any wardrobe malfunctions this year? Uh, yes, but not the way the audience. It was off camera. Um, Sean, our amazing, incredible costume designer, we this year only had five dresses because we were trying to uh, save money as all the daytime shows are on a budget. But mostly, too, a lot of times the hair and makeup people don't get a full view of the hairstyles or makeup because we rush through the red carpet or we rush through the dress. So we thought five was a great number. Well, the fifth dress did not turn out quite the way Sean wanted. It was kind of an opera shawl that was supposed to be up and big and the, the fabric didn't cooperate. So right that day when I'm supposed to put that on, he just said, take that off. I, I don't like the way it looks. I'll find you something else. So through lunch and all our breaks, he was running around the building. We have three stories um, of wardrobe stored in different places. So I'd see Sean run by the hall to another floor and then he'd run up the elevator <laughs> looking for the perfect dress. And the silver dress, the V-neck halter dress he found, I put it on. It was perfect, except we didn't realize the zipper was broken. So in a scene, Bobby has to zip me up and the zipper broke and the dress sort of gave way. So, of course, thankfully, I had my arms in front of me and the crew starts laughing and Jackie is like, oh, gosh, what do I do? And so the whole dress is falling off, but off camera. So the audience doesn't get to see the naked moment, but the crew got a big kick out of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Um. How many dresses were in contention? Like, as you start the fitting process, is it like a whole hallway filled with potential gowns? Or did Sean kind of have it narrowed down to what he was interested in in trying on you? You know, he narrows it down. But this year, he did pull out all the stops for everybody. He had racks. It was so much fun. You felt like you were in some magical Milan fashion show because the hall was all filled with racks. And for the first time this year, he took over our rehearsal hall. And you would walk in, and there were giant mirrors set up, and then all the dresses around So you felt like this was really one of those fashion shows where you run in, you know, and they rip the clothes and throw it on you. So he has an idea of colors and he wanted to give everybody sparkle this year. And I think most dresses had a little bit of bling on it. So his theme rang true. But for me, it's so much fun because we just kind of think alike and I'll put it on and we go look at each other and go, no, yeah. And and love, he he has great sense of uh, people's uh, figure needs. So he's always spot on, but then the colors... And you feel you really do feel like you're the you know princess getting ready for the ball because you get to pick so many choices and then he takes pictures and the wonderful thing is he and Frank and then some of the other producers look at the pictures and see what they love too so it's a definite team effort no one person picks the dresses. Um, well, did you have a favorite? I love the first dress because it was so different. Um, it's something that Lynn, me, I'd never wear because it's so blingy, but the silver and the black was so eye-catching, and I got so many comments, and Dutch really liked it when we walked the <laughs> I was just about to say, I loved that dress, but I felt like I sensed that Dutch really, really uh, got, a, got, a, got a kick out of you in it. I felt 
You know, what was funny, too, is the poor gals, the trainers are off to the side. And the dress had a little train. And as we'd walk, Dutch would step on it. And I could feel it, like, tugging. And I thought, oh, gosh, thank goodness there's a high neck because otherwise this might be the wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> and they... And, they knew the show and they said, oh, my goodness, we were afraid Dutch was going to cause it, you know. So if you really pay attention, you kind of little stops and starts because he would step and I'd walk and step. <laughs> <laughs> I would walk. But it was so it, that one was so beautiful. And then we do um, the opening speech in it, too, because it just w- was uh, awesome under the lights. Now, what would you say your favorite thing is about taping the ball? So the teamwork, I, I love, um, even though, as, as I've said many times, the crew and the cast, it's, it's a love-hate relationship because it's so many hours and so much preparation, and they put their heart and soul into it. So when I see people giving their best from, you know, the lighting guys and, and um, sound, everybody, the wardrobe people running around like crazy trying to make sure everybody puts their shoes back on between takes or, you know, they have the right purse. We switch tables. So some purse will be thrown over to this table or it, it's the immaculate passion and care that our crew puts into it. It makes me feel like part of this team that has done something extravagant. And I know sometimes the audience, you you can't see it. I know they sense it. Our audience is so intelligent, but they, the, the grind of trying to pull the cables at the right time and get everybody. And then the magical part of the camera work, when they do the overheads and they swing those cameras around, someone's pulling those around and it makes you feel like this massive team has all come together. And I hate when it's over because I, I miss seeing that effort and then the smiles and the laughter. You know, ER doctors tend to have that dark sense of humor. Well, the crew does too, because you have to laugh at all the mishaps and, and the speed we do these things. And it just makes me feel so special to be on the team. Do you have uh, an, an all-time favorite nurse's ball moment or performance from now the many, many years that this great tradition has been part of the show? No, no. And, and the reason is because we've done it over so many years and I've changed as a person and what I've learned to appreciate as I've gotten older is um, important to me just in maturing. So each year brought something and the obvious ones are, you know, Stone, his story with Robin was so romantic and beautiful. And then I've said many times the quilt and the pride in General Hospital being the first to really address um, the people that were suffering from AIDS and hiring them to work on our show. Um, but the first one with Luke, you know, that's always going to be special because that kicked it off with the strip tease and hanging upside down and all the naked moments were like, Lynn, suck it up. You, you have to be <laughs> naked. You're going to do this. <laughs> so it's, it's like a challenge um, each year to make sure my enthusiasm never wanes. And at least people know we still care about them so much. So like these five years that uh, Frank and ABC has allowed us to do this again have been very special because I know the limitations are there with the budget. Um, The scale has to go down um, just obviously for logistics reasons, but the passion that's still there um, makes it awesome. And this year is is one of my favorites because we also bring in Alzheimer's and um, sharing information about that. So, they don't, there's not a better one. It's just each year is more emotional for me because I realize it might be the last 
Um, so this year was very special because of the two elements of Max and Sonny and then also Robin giving a, a great speech. So we still are mixing in that reality to try and get folks to just be aware of people suffering and trying to help them out. Now, what could you tell us about the behind the scenes uh, of taping the ball? <laughs> like what goes on, what we don't see or who are you sitting and chatting with in between takes? This year was the best because I got to chat with so many people. Um, it, it was so awesome because sometimes Lucy always just stands up to the side or with so many changes, they're ripping me to the, what you don't see is as soon as the scene's done and you have to change, Nicole, the amazing wardrobe mistress that has to help me in and out of these things, grabs me into a little closet off. It's right where the um, hub is. And they set up this just kind of a circular little square. Well, it's hard to explain. They take just fake walls and make a little dressing room for me. And so you'll hear me clicking across, running in my heels, throwing clothes off as we go. And Nicole, literally like in a comedy, catching them as I go and pulling them on. And, you know, you're jumping over the cables and you're tripping. But this year, because there were only five and because um, the directors decided I should view um, emotionally more of the numbers, which I was so glad I got to see. I sat with all the young people from Jocelyn to Molly. I got to sit with Maurice and Max. I, you know, it, it was the best ball for me visiting. I felt guilty. It was like I was being paid to catch up and learn new things about all my castmates. <laughs> um, but, and, and, and as I, I told a lot of people, I was so proud of them because it was not a cell phone nurse's ball at all where everybody's on their cell phones, not chatting every table. They were having a, a literal ball. No pun intended. They were chatting and laughing and they were reacting to the numbers, honestly. And you do see people rush up. Um, Nancy Grand, she won't care if I rat her out. She's notorious for either leaving her purse or losing her makeup bag or leaving her shoes somewhere. <laughs> so before every take, Nancy, where are your shoes? Nancy, where's your purse? It gets to be like, you know, the principal in school. She will laugh because she is, she's notorious. We always know we have to pick up after her everywhere she goes at each table. So that's hilarious. And then everybody does have to put away their drinks and hot tea and blankets they brought up. Under the tables would be the camera shot to see what people brought up. <laughs> it would be like a great foot warmers to blankets to tea you know so it's it's um avoiding not looking enthusiastic and this year no one had to do that everybody seemed to be very focused on helping their fellow performers on the stage um but you don't see the tripping over each other the sound guys and making sure they get the shot and then the music cues going wrong and everybody just stopping and laughing because they're now nothing sounds right it's literally a tiny Broadway show every day that we do it. That's really incredible. And obviously such a popular moment with the fans. And they're so happy to see it back, too, and see you back for it every year. I, ho I hope so. You know, it's, it's to me, it's a very tricky thing because, like I said, I know our viewers are so in tune and they're sophisticated about the cost. Um, and I never want to disappoint them. So I know sometimes they feel like this big spectacle of many years ago isn't quite the same, but they have to understand the heart and the meaning is still there. So even though it may be condensed or they might not see some of the performers they want to see, the intent is always to make them feel special and that we're really trying to do this for them. Um, on a totally separate note, you filled in for Leslie Charlson recently uh, and came out east to do a fan event with a number of heavy hitters from General Hospital. <laughs> and I want to know, yeah. when you do an event like that when it's you and it was Fanola and Emma, Ian, Tristan, uh, Jackie, what do the fans ask you about the most when you're in front of them like that? I, you know, that was a fun, fun um, question and answer because we're all sitting there and these are people that truly adore 
uh, general hospital and they are historically up on everything. So you can't fool them by pretending you remember something you don't. <laughs> so they remember everything. And the questions would range, you know, from um, why aren't these storylines working currently or why aren't you on more to very specific things about your favorite kiss and your favorite love story and your favorite moments. And we had one gentleman um, stand up that I think someone tweeted out um, that had been bullied as a kid. And he, he was so eloquent about coming home from school and having the comfort of all of us in his living room and going through the trials and tribulations with us and feeling like he was better off for having watched the show and having us as friends and other people echoed that so you know you get the fun sexy jokes about the new josh you know the 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 new detective but to the really heartfelt about helping people through situations and so what was great is listening to Jeannie's take on that um and emma's and finola's and, and tristan's and ian's and jackie's how they respond to the fans um when someone moves them like that we are so connected not by being friends on the show, but by being um, thankful to the viewers for letting us experience their lives when they tell us these stories. It, it kept giving me chills because we laugh a lot. Of course, they ask about funny, you know, sex scenes and how your top comes off and under the sheets. And that's a, a crazy time. But they're, the heartfelt part, it's just so moving. And you forget that I, I wish networks and the powers that be saw the connection we have with these people. It's incredible. Well, back to the to the beefcake of it all, though. There were a lot of fans very jealous on Twitter, I saw, because you got to be the first to see Chase without his shirt on. <laughs> I know. And, I, and the beauty of it was he was so thrilled because he had not had a lot of comedy. He has tongue-in-cheek um, scenes with Michael Easton. But he finally got that the daytime is not just the drama. It's also entertaining with laughter and, and, and hijinks. And so he came to me right when he saw the scene and had read it the night before and came up said, oh, my gosh, I laughed out loud when I was sitting in my house studying because I could see how fun this was. And he was thrilled to do it. So his enthusiasm was enthusiastic. Um, and so we just rolled with it. And it was kind of funny because, you know, it was jumping up and down. They had to spray him with water and he never done that so it was so much fun we were like his first major uh, reveal of his skin but at the same time done with love and humor so he didn't feel exploited at all he felt like that it was part of the whole hygiene of the ball now lucy has had many different careers over the course of her time in port charles she's been a librarian a cosmetics company ceo and a vampire slayer um what would you say has been the most fun to play uh ooh. The, well, librarian, because it was the introduction, that was awesome. And you didn't have to wear any makeup or anything. You just went in and jumped in the clothes and off you went. But the Vampire Slayer was such a challenge because I knew it was not what a lot of people were comfortable with. And it's proven to be ahead of its time, as we've said many times, that people weren't quite ready for that in daytime. But to be powerful like that and have her... Um, it was kind of like the female warrior feeling sometimes when I'd go with my crossbow. As far-fetched as it was, it was empowering. So I <laughs> I loved it. And then the love stories they tried to tell, you know, with Kelly and Michael and with Torsten and I, it was such an interesting way to approach daytime. And I just wish we had waited five years. I think people would have um, resonated a lot more. Um, but I also like the variety. She's one of those women that can't settle. She's not 
settling and keeps hoping for the next wonderful moment. So her optimism that this job will be from vampire slayer to real estate agent is going to be successful. She keeps trying to make it work. And so I, I laugh and I look forward to even more jobs just because there's a lot of people that hop around hoping this is it. This is going to fulfill the hole in me. I'm going to be successful and happy. And sometimes it doesn't work. So she's kind of an example of all those job hoppers out there. Uh, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. All right. Well, going back to the librarian era. So you were a fan of the show. And then you got this audition for Lucy and you were hired by Gloria Monty, the legendary former executive producer of the show. And she had a reputation for being a really tough cookie. What was your relationship with Gloria like? Um, it started uh, kind of with Wayne because I actually went in and read for Felicia's part for Christina Wagner's part. I didn't know and, that. Uh, yeah, um, I went in. Wayne, I think Wayne had, was still doing Dynasty, and I, I'm not sure. I think he was still and hadn't done Days, so I wasn't really familiar with Daytime. And I was called in to read for Felicia, and I got down, you know, to to a few left. And um, the casting director at the time um, made me wait for two hours and then went to lunch. So Wayne was on a soundstage nearby. <laughs> he stormed in the office, <gasps> and he kind of let the office know that that was inappropriate for his wife to be treated or any actress to be, you know, treated this way. And he was on a tear. And luckily, Marvin Page, the casting director, had gone to lunch because Wayne was really on a tear and was going <laughs> to give him a... So it was so funny because through the grapevine, Gloria had heard that this girl had come in and her husband had had it. So needless to say, they did go blonde with the... That's not why. They, <laughs> Christina was perfect for the part. That, that wasn't why, but that was my first introduction to the General Hospital soundstage in the office. And luckily... The next time it was for Lucy and he stayed away. <laughs> well, it's amazing to think what could have happened. I know. I mean, I'm projecting ahead to like, maybe there would be no Harrison and Peter. <laughs> it is. When you think of the near misses that happened, you, you really can't because I also, this is, we're going way back. But when I started, I also read for Gina Davis's part in Tootsie. And that got really um, close. And I thought, wouldn't that, then I wouldn't have met Wayne. You know, it's it's so funny how actors can go down this whole train of well, that's degrees of separation. But also, what if that happened? Anyway, the long story short is Glory remembered just hearing that there was an incident with Wayne. <laughs> and so one of my first her first week, she came up and said, darling, are you happy? And I said, oh, I love it. I love it. And she said, good. I don't want your husband back on the set. I said, okay. <laughs> it was very, very good to be in that position. But I have to tell you, that was the dream of dreams. Because once Wayne had started on Days of Our Lives, and I saw what you could do every day on daytime and when I got that part, I went running around and screaming through the house. I couldn't believe it. It was the best opportunity ever. Um, wait, I feel like almost like neither Mara nor I has ever interviewed you before that all these things are coming <laughs> out. So wait, tell us about Tootsie not getting it and how then you met Wayne. Well, I went for it. I had been living in New York um, doing just some modeling and, and after I finished school and I came up because I can't remember. I got some... I think it was a sea and ski commercial or something. And I came out and went, well, wait a minute. This is California. It's very, very nice. <laughs> I like this. And the really funny thing too, is that's where I met Heather Locklear um, was doing a sea and ski commercial. 
And um, we had so much fun. And I got to do T.J. Hooker with her, too. And um, her hardships has made, have made me really sad because she treated me so well. And to this day, when I would see her, she would remember our crazy beginnings on the CNC commercial. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Sorry, there's so many stories of the past. But we love Tootsie them. was this huge thing. You had to be in your underwear. So I got down to towards the last few gals. And I remember thinking, okay, think of this as a modeling job, but you're in a casting office in front of all those uh, movie execs and you're in a bra and panties. And it was not exploitative. It was part of the whole scene. It was, it really had to, I saw what I was doing and they had a robe and it wasn't bad. But then when Gina Davis, you know, I thought, okay, now wait a minute. Was it my bra? You know, you get to see, was it my re? And I realized I was so green at the time, I would not have been able to pull that off. So it was meant to be also. And then Wayne, I met an acting class in California. That's amazing. Yeah, love that. Um, so wait, I love the story of your actual audition for Lucy because you had to do, before, you know, uh, knowing the full scope of the character, that iconic Lucy scene where she transforms from the mousy librarian into the sex pot. So one of my favorites, by the way. Oh, yeah. So please, what do you recall uh, about, you know, like what was your take on it when you read it and how did you go about trying to bring that to life? Well, the first in the reading, I remember the first couple, you know, where where you get callbacks. um, I just tried to change my voice and mannerisms. But then when it came to the screen test, I had seen um, some of the other girls in the callbacks and um, they were all wonderful and, and beautiful girls. And I thought, okay, what, what's going to make this stand out in the screen test? And I'm still not really, you know, I had done a lot of episodic, but nothing this deep where you really had to um, flush out two separate facets of a character. So I got my little powder and my lipstick and um, I put on a kind of, cool mousy stuff but then I really went for it underneath I think it was a red or black um like a negligee um I and and in my mind for actors when you go on auditions that's always the big thing do you bring props do you use imaginary gestures a lot of times guys reading for cops do you point your finger you know the, the question sounds silly but when you're trying to sell something how far do you really go and all young actors ask that so I thought Okay, Lynn, let's think about this. If you look ridiculous, it's not going to work. But I did bring in, you know, the person, the lipstick, and I really went for it to try and look as bad as I could at the beginning and as good as I could with the shakeout of the hair and tossing the head. And I guess it worked, but I was so scared when I was done that had I gone too far, you know, you never know, was this really a good choice? You know, when you walk away with that sick feeling in your stomach, well, they might laugh me right off the screen test because it may have gone too far, but... I, I think it worked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. So what was it like for you as someone who had watched the show? So then you get there and now you're working with people who you were fans of. Did you have any favorites when you were a viewer? Scotty, Ken Schreiner. He was my dreamy boy. <laughs> he, was, he would probably say school. you have very good taste. <laughs> Yes, he continues to remind me every day of that, of course. But then I get to continue to remind him he's so much older. I mean, so much older. He was a seasoned actor way back before I was even, you know, born. So he hates that. But I do remember there were uh, courtroom scenes as Mousy Lucy and June Lockhart was on the show. And she came up and said, you know what, you're doing a really good job. And coming from her, because I had watched her as a kid, too, and then all these other actors that I had seen, I thought, am I really, you know, it, when you have an icon like that tell you a compliment and with no reason, 
she has no idea how much she helped me through those first weeks because I didn't know what I was doing. I, I knew what I wanted to do, but are you really getting that across to the audience? Are they buying into this? She was just a dream. And then Gloria, of course, was so complimentary and I, and people kept warning me about her and she was so nice. I thought, okay, this is either I'm going to get fired tomorrow and she feels bad or she really likes what I'm doing. So that it, those weeks, you know, you remember it when you talk about it. I appreciate you guys asking because those memories are so special. They're such a special time. Lynn, there might've been a third option. She was terrified of Wayne's return. <laughs> That, that is the third option, and I think it's a big possibility. Big. Really big. Well, when you look back at those early days, how would you characterize them? Like when you kind of remember stories and people you worked with? Um, magical, but also scary because it was um, Sam Barron's and Jack Wagner um, and then Ian and Finola were there, and they had already established really strong, clear characters. And I was envious of the rapport they already had of each other with each other. And um, when they would have a scene, you could see what they were going to do with it right away. And and I remember going up and going through my blocking all by myself over and over every day, just to make sure I didn't hold anybody up. And I was so passionate about trying to keep up with them um, that I remember coming home so tired because I not only would get the blocking and stay on stage, I wouldn't go to lunch. I, I, I wanted to have it so down what I wanted to do and, and not even cause them to have to retake anything. And I, I think, you know, how you always ask, what do you, would you tell your younger self? I would say, it's okay. Once in a while to have to do another take because I was so trying to perfect that you were, you know, how, when you hold yourself tense like that, you, you get tired. And I just remember Wayne would go, what's happened. And I'm laying on the floor learning the next days. And I just was beat. I would have gone a little easier on myself. I think in those days, I was so trying to impress all of them. When you look back, when you started, could you have ever imagined that you would still be on the Port Charles campus today? No, no, no. And I, I, you see, I, every day I'm so thankful. I would never have thought I'd been on this journey. And like you brought up the Boston trip, looking at those women and men and seeing the journeys we've all been on and the shorthand we can talk to each other about and then seeing everyone raise their families and have lives. Who knew that daytime would give them that gift? I, I never dreamed that I would be able to say that I've known these people this long. Um, and it's remarkable the just the maturity that we have now and lack of a lot of times on the set too, that we can still fall back into those early days in the banter. But I never, never in a million years would I have dreamed what a life this has been. Never. All right, Lynn, we are going to play a game and it's going to be, Uh-oh. it's going to be a hunk filled game. So You know what? Can I just say one more thing real quick, which is I will do the hunk filled game. Um, Nancy Gron tweeted out something about Tommy Merkel and um, for the time period that we all knew him, he was an amazing man and sweet, sweet to all of us, very professional, a lot of fun. And I'm sorry, you know, when you say looking back, I'm sorry that he's being portrayed in the media right now the way he is, because he was a gem and he made me really feel comfortable when I was new. So I, I just want folks to know that Tommy is a good man and he was so kind to all of us, especially young new actors. So it's just really important for me to say that. Absolutely. What do you remember that he was so that made him so helpful? His smile and his laugh, and I, he would, I would always miss my mark when I started, and he goes, okay, the lighting's better to your left. Go left, go left. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I just, he was such a special man to all of us, and um, I just think sometimes that you know, when you get involved in these huge life situations, people need to stand up and say he was a stand-up guy at the time. 
Well, I appreciate you saying that. Awkward segue back to the hunk-filled game, Lynn. Um, okay. All right, so y- you as Lucy have been married to some truly uh, amazing Port Charles citizens. So I'm going to give you Agreed. the name uh, and the actor who played him and then just t- tell me a little something about what it was like to work with that individual. So I'm going to start with Mr. Okay. Tony Jones, played by Brad Mall. Oh, hmm. He, Tony Jones, the the story was so wonderful because he got to play a man tormented by this really um, off the wall, uh, trying to be manipulative, sexy, chicky baby. And he played the balance so well uh, with his wife and then um, with kind of teased and tantalized by Lucy. And Brad played it really, really well. And I enjoyed working with him. He had very soft lips. That's important. (laughs) And he also was very kind because I do tell the story where we had a love scene and I had a teddy on and it came unsnapped and he covered me up very quickly and was very um, nice and uh, aware that I was so embarrassed. And so on the next take made me feel very comfortable. And then the emotional depth he would show with the BJ storyline um, was was above and beyond. He, he just was very special at the time. And he helped me stay calm through a lot of those early days, too. Um, now we'll move on to Stuart Damon, who played Alan Quartermain. Oh. <laughs> Those were the funny, funny, I love those days because they wrote that so um, campy and the dialogue was so fast and Lucy's intentions were so clear that the audience could hate her for wanting all that money, but also identify with her. Well, who wouldn't want to be a Quartermain? And she wanted to be a Quartermain and Alan embodied all of that. And sometimes his deadpan looks at some of what Lucy was up to were priceless. I would look over and he'd be giving his face and to keep my face not from cracking up was really hard. And then the whole dynamic with Monica, he, he, they had such a great chemistry and to come into that um, was challenging, but also it was very rewarding because I felt like the audience really got, okay, Lucy is going to get this guy. And then he loved all of it. He loved the buffoonery and the silliness and the crazy bed scenes that we would try to, to make uh, real. It, it, he was a pleasure. What about Mr. Scott Baldwin, played by your buddy Ken? <laughs> you know, he at first... Um, I think we were trying to one-up each other a lot. They wrote us the kind of Spencer, you know, Tracy and Catherine Hepburn quick dialogue. And in the scenes, I'd see the twinkle in his eye, and I knew he was going to take me somewhere that we hadn't really rehearsed. And so I had to keep up. And he, it, it was such a wonder to sit there and have watched him and um, go through the, you know, no one knows what it's like to be the bad man behind the blue eyes. That song, every time he'd look at me, I'd think, oh, that's him. This is this is Scotty Bowen. So for a while I was very starstruck. And then when we did the um, Dominique storyline and he got to show that range of emotion, I was in awe because they don't give him that enough. And it, and it was so special to go through that with him and, and watch his character evolve. Um, I, I love working with him. You don't know what he's going to do next. He's always looking for bits, as you know, give him a comb or an apple or a spit take and he's in heaven. So you just have to jump on the ride and roll with him and, I would I would work with him every day. He, he's just a, a jewel. Now, what about your real life husband, Wayne Northrup, who played Rex Stanton? That was weird <laughs> <laughs> because he he's he can play such a bad guy, and um, he he's such a good actor that 
it was nice because sometimes I did get caught up in what Rex was doing. Um, and there's just such an ease. But, you know, truthfully, when you work with your spouse, you want, um, because it's your home base, uh, you want people to appreciate him and like him. And so I think in the back of my head, I I think I was maybe sometimes too aware of us just wanting the scenes to go extra well and you have to let that go. So that, that, that's kind of tricky, but I did enjoy it. We had a lot of fun and our sons get a big kick out of the pictures they see of us together um, as Rex and Lucy. (laughs) What about Mr. Or I should say, Dr. Kevin Collins played by John Lindstrom. Well, that was some of the best love story. Um, John, when he was playing the twin with Ryan was incredible. And I would just watch some of the, scenes that he did in awe. And then Michelle Valjean wrote a lot of our dialogue. She writes for Bold and the Beautiful now. And she, in her mind, created the, the opposites attract the scenario of intelligent people that are two completely different spectrums of life coming together. And her, the way she set some of those scenes up were so sexy and romantic. I loved every minute of it. I think they built that couple to be very, very strong in why they were attracted to each other, even though she was kind of a bad girl and not really fully formed. And um, her value system was a little askew, shall we say, but he wasn't completely formed well either with a lot of his issues and she helped him. So that to me was probably my favorite love story um, as far as two adults acting like adults and trying to make a marriage and a, a relationship work. Uh, now, because Mara and I are such big fans of Torsten Kay, what was it like working with him as Ian Thornhart? You know, I, I loved working with him, but it was, again, the challenge of the vampire. We, would, we spent a lot of time talking about how do you ground this because he's a vampire and he had to find the reality in it. And then so we then just went for the love story and tried to find why are these two people attracted to each other and what what would make this believable for the audience? Because that's it was so hard knowing that people were so skeptical. So he is a dream to work with. He'll he'll run lines anytime and reassure you about um, any insecurities about a scene. Um, and he's very powerful. So you want to match that uh, intensity in the scenes. I loved working with him so much. Um, that that was a whole different kind of love story between the two that that it will always hold a special place too. Yeah, I loved Port Charles, I got to say. I I uh many memorable stories uh on on that show. Now, you only mentioned the softness of Brad Mole's lips or anyone else's lips we should hear about before we let you go. <laughs> well, you know, Wayne's I was kind of used to as well. That was kind of that was easy and funny and and um I just loved it. But all I've been so lucky. That's what I, I if you think about it, some people I'm sure you've done interviews where they're holding their tongue. They can't really tell you that they didn't enjoy or there were uncomfortable beats or maybe there were even arguments about how to play scenes. And the guys you mentioned, I, I loved kissing all of them. I did. That's the funniest thing. I didn't have any moments of I don't want to go to work or, or this is going to be uncomfortable. We took care of each other in the love scenes. And I really liked um, and Wayne knows it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no you know, office for so, him to storm into to protest it. Yeah, 
Here's the funny thing, too, is when we first went um, together on a location, it was when he was on Dynasty and he had to be in the bathtub with Fallon. Michael, the chauffeur, is in the bathtub. And George Papard took me by the arm and said, you guys just got married. Come here and watch the scene so you don't get jealous. And I went, no. And he goes, yes, come on. So we stood off to the side <laughs> watching these scenes. And here's my husband, you know, kind of naked in the bathtub with this beautiful Pamela Sue Martin. And it didn't, I was, I got into the scene about, oh, look at that chauffeur. He's really coming. <laughs> and so from that moment on, I, I don't know what it was. We've been so fortunate. We haven't had that uh, bad feeling because I was, even when Marlene and Roman are rolling around on the beach at Paradise Cove in Malibu, I was there. He wanted me to come. So I brought my swimsuit and I'm up the beach tanning and there they are rolling around in the surf. And it, it was so beautiful. I'm caught up in the moment too. There's not, I just think we're so lucky. So when I tell him, Oh, I had a really good day at work. He knows that I really like these guys. And I, for the moment I loved them madly. And that was a pleasure. Well, I'm sure that is one Love. of the many secrets to your very successful marriage. Exactly. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lynn, we thank you so much for joining us today. We could talk to you for another hour <laughs> totally you have so well, many great I stories i have to thank you guys because you've always been so supportive of the nurses ball and of lucy it 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 just makes me smile when i see something you guys have written and the article that's out now about the nurses ball is so lovely i could it, it built excitement for people to want to see it talking to kimberly and finola and everyone you guys do such a good job of help fostering us that it it it's just a pleasure, and I, I can't thank you enough because it means so much that we've had all these memories together, you know, as journalists and actors. It's very important and special. Well, it's special to you. us, too. Yeah, it really totally is. special to us. And you made that article by sending me that photo of the T-shirt the crew wore. I loved that. Wasn't that funny? So they, fun. And the people have loved it. I get so many comments about, oh, the crew. Like I said, our audience is very smart. They know what goes into all this, so I appreciate them. Well, we look forward to watching it and talking to you again. Yeah, have a great rest of your week. Thank you. You too. I love you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Dishing with Digest. Be sure to pick up the latest issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.